Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded, as always, at various places of shelter around the New York metropolitan area. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor, Publishers Weekly, co-editor of PW Comics World, and editor of the Fanatic PW's uh, twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor of the in chief of the beat at comicsbeat.com, the news site of comics culture. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more, to more to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can also leave us a rating, leave us a thumbs up. Uh, leave us a comment, uh, drop us an email. Just let us know how we're doing because we love to hear from you, our beloved, beloved listeners. Hey, we, we want some human contact. Reach yeah, we out need touch. it. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, this week on More to Come. This, uh, incredible year in review. I, I mean, I can't, I can't say much more than that. Uh, we're gonna, <clears throat> we're gonna freestyle. Yeah, uh, well. Around it, 2020. Yeah, and you know, in keeping with the theme of this hell year, um, we've had some behind the scenes technical difficulties with this particular episode of the podcast. Nothing you need to know about, dear listener. But anyway, we are. We're just doing it kind of, kind of a little free form, a little, a little, um, just taking it as it happens because, you know, we just can't do anymore. <laughs> 2020 has left us drained. <laughs> Honestly, just making it this far is a remarkable achievement. That's <laughs> true. Uh, we're all, we're all still here. So, uh, so my God, where do we begin? Well, I, I will say this. Uh, this year started out very differently than how it ended up. Well, you know, it's funny because the first two months of the year are so vivid in my memory and just so like, you know, like a, um, you know, like a film, like a movie that I watched that's just full of wonderful storytelling and images. Uh, and, uh, you know, probably had things gone the way they normally are, I guess like the next 10 months would have been kind of a little bit the same, same way, but, uh, uh, maybe it would have seemed all the same, but I, you know, I do enjoy them. I just, that might sound weird, but I enjoy the memory of uh, January and February because, uh, we were really kicking it. You know, I went to Angoulême, I toured a bunch of European comic shrines with, uh, the great Karen Green and Deb Aoki and Ron Wemberly. I mean, I mean, could you, you know, the year would have been downhill from there, uh, Hmm. no matter what. And, uh, it not only went downhill, it fell off, uh, 5,000 mile cliff, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 you didn't go downhill. A trap door opened under your feet yes. like some old fashioned cartoon. Yes. Uh, and then you <laughs> dropped into the abyss. Look, in, in, uh, in February, uh, I was in Bologna, Italy, uh, uh, judging the first Bologna Ragazzi Award for Comics. This is the annual children's publishing extravaganza who were so hyped. Uh, to, uh, be including a, a graphic novel pavilion at this annual mammoth professional show around, uh, book publishing, uh, that, uh, they invited me and, uh, was it three other, uh, you know, the comics writers, critics to come early and, uh, go through hundreds of books, 
for the first for the first annual Bologna Ragazzi. So we uh, I spent you know about three or four days. It was a very short trip, but and we yeah. spent a lot of times you know in in the room arguing about what books to do. But otherwise, you know, uh, uh, it was a dream beginning to the year, and get- I could just see the rest of the year was couldn't was going to be a fabulous. I know, right? It was all Kate. What do you, Kate? What do you? Do you have any really strong memories of the before times? Before times, I remember two things very strongly of the before times this year. One was, and I, I think Heidi will probably join me on this one, um, seeing Birds of Prey in the theater, really enjoying it, and thinking, eh, maybe I'll see that again oh. in the theater. Yeah, no. And the second, which, I mean, I'm going to admit it, a friend of mine who's a couple years younger was like, hey, I'm really worried about, you know, what I hear is going on in China. And I was like, well, I mean, there have been similar things in the past, and it never was a big deal here. So hopefully it'll be fine. Um, Spoiler alert, children, it wasn't fine. Yeah, you know, when we were in France, we were at this stay at this villa with a bunch of people from around the world. And we were, you know, it was in the news, and we were talking about it. And uh, a bunch of um, friends, new friends from Israel uh, we're there, and as we were all leaving on our final day, they they had a stack of masks, and they were like, "Oh, you know, we bought these in case you want to wear one." And I was like, "Oh, I'll take one just in case, you know." And then I wore and I wore it to the airport actually, and I wore it around the airport, and I saw other people wearing a mask, and then I was like, oh, "I can't stand this," and uh, I'm not even I couldn't stand it. I was just like, eh, "I'm gonna drink my coffee now," and I I took it off. So yeah. And then, you know what? I saved that mask. And when things got south, I even when they said not to wear a mask, I actually did wear a mask sometimes when I went outside or went went around because I, I figured that was um, a thing we needed to do. And I used that mask. So, you know, it all um, it all paid off. You know, that that's really interesting because, you know, of course, we were in Italy. <laughs> uh, just oh, my before- God. Just before the first wave of COVID swept across Europe, uh, we were reading about it, but it was simply not an issue that we generally were worried about or any officials around us that we could t- – t- uh. in fact, the biggest, the biggest issue that was going on when we got to Italy and was on – when we're on the way to uh, Bologna by train was that one of the high-speed rail – lines in Italy uh, along the path that we were going there had been a, an, an awful crash mm. and and it sort of delayed our trip to get there but we were more concerned about whether we were even going to be able to get there because of this terrible train wreck and there were you know there were so many rail strikes throughout Europe when we were there so we had like these delays and you know there was a bit of uh, anxiety about the damn Rail strikes, but um, yeah, that turned out to be the least of our worries, I guess. So. Uh, it, yeah, as it turned out. Although now they're still doing a lot better than we are because they're a lot more sensible about things than yes. we are. Yes. yes. I mean, but we have learned <laughs> so much in 2020. So much. But you know, we should come back to that. But, but Calvin, let's talk, and Kate, let's take a little tour, a little stroll down memory lane. What are some of the other greatest hits of 2020? <laughs> Well, you know what I, you know. I will say I, I like to say this that in it, 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 2020, I mean, I think just the just the biggest things. I think everything comes after the pandemic, and and in my view, Black Lives Matter. Uh, uh, every professional thing you have to talk, you have to you experience 
was affected by it in some way, certainly in the publishing industry and certainly in the comics industry. That's been Correct. the case. The retail shutdown, um, uh, you know, it, it just com- has completely turned uh, this business that we are part of and that we love upside down and, 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 and made us have to think harder about the future and where we're going. Um, uh, and then, of course, whatever is going on in DC Comics right now. Mm. Well, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just, I mean that's you, just to you, give us a big theme. I mean, if you, you know, we're going to, we have that to come back to, but, uh, we'll return, you know, let, we're yeah. going to talk about our favorite movies and TV shows. And we're Kate, I that, certainly yeah. want to return to Birds of Prey because I loved that movie as well. Me too. And, uh, and, you know, in the wake of Wonder Woman 84, it looks even better. Um, so, uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's wind the clock back to the beginning. Of, uh, of 2020. You know, one of the biggest stories I thought was yeah. going to be that Jerry Craft won the Newbery Award for New Kid. Uh, the first graphic novel yes. to win the Newbery Award, which is probably the single most prestigious award. I mean, for kids' books, absolutely. But ab- also just one of the most prestigious awards for books, period, in, in the world, really. Oh, without a mm. doubt. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, no, it, it is. It's it's a major award, and obviously, it couldn't have happened to a harder working, more creative uh, guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, this is a this is huge for him. The book is an incredible bestseller, um, and in fact, he's got what the the sequel to the book mm-hmm. is already out. And ah, what's the name? Uh, the <laughs> There's the less new kid. No, oh, well, I, excuse I, me. New kid is the is the uh, first new one. kid is the Newber is the Newberry winner. Right. Class act is the class sequel. act. Yes, yes. Uh, and um, yeah, I, you know, we've had Jerry on the podcast. Yes. Uh, we talked to him, and he is indeed a hardworking, you know, uh, just a craftsman who's been in this industry trying for a long time. And you know, it's not to say the book didn't deserve the award. It's a really great book. And uh, and also, I would like to point out that. That, uh, you know, he is black and, and the book is about a kid who, you know, is, is the new kid in class and deals with a lot of different issues about identity and race and, um, and hey, listen, it won before that became the national dialogue and, uh, which I think is really a credit to the librarians who gave it the award. Well, well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, um, um, Jerry goes way back. I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, every, Every business kind of individual. He was so, he was a self publisher before it was cool. Uh, Mama's Boys. His his he was one of the first one of the well one of the few syndicated uh, black uh, cartoonists. Um, you know he, he at every stage of of a new business platform in this business he's kind of he's went and found a way to get his comics out when people were. Like sh- shutting a door in his face, he would go and find another door. Right. Um, creativity, determination, uh, being a good guy. Uh, the new kid is kind of about his own experiences. He growing up as a as a New York City kid and and getting into a, kind of a private school. His kids kind of went through the same thing. And then class act kind of continues the story. But it's, it is really great at kind of talking about the experiences of black kids who go into you know basically an all white school. Uh, and and learn to adjust as well as the school learns to adjust to them. Yeah, no, it's it's a real uh, that was our big win for our side, and um, you know, and it just couldn't happen to more uh, more deserving person. Kate, did you have something to add there? 
Uh, no, just I'm totally on board with this. I mean, mm. we were all very thrilled when it got the award, and it was great. Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, so that was January. We got the news when I was at Angoulême's, in fact, and, you know, I was uh, doing the, the victory dance for our side. And, <laughs> um, you know, then uh, then the world changed. Um, But also another thing that happened before the world changed that we thought might be the biggest story of the year, ha, 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 was when Dan DiDio was removed as a co-publisher of DC Comics. You remember that gag? You remember all the way back uh, to when that happened? I certainly remember yes. And I, I mean, regret I think, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think what – I mean one of the things about that event is that in, in many ways that was the first um, – I don't know what you call the first shoe to drop in what was going to be a very troubling year at DC, at DC Comics. Um, uh, we will get into the, you know, the follow-up later on in the year. But um, that was the first shoe to drop that something really big is going to be happening at DC Comics. Right. And by big, I don't necessarily mean good. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because I know Kate was – I mean, not – she – obviously, Kate is a great person who does not revel in the misfortune of others. But, you know, you weren't a fan of Dan as editor-in-chief. No, or, I'm not. And you know what? Nothing about this has changed my opinion on that because this is really <laughs> about more than who's editor or not. This is part of a larger picture. Yeah, yeah. And, but you know, hey, we talked about this for years yeah. with, with the data. And, and when it finally happened, it wasn't what we expected, was it? <laughs> it had nothing to do with that. It was part of a bigger picture. Yes. And I regret nothing. Janarian Yes, very good. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, that did kick off, um, a but lot of changes. It was, it was but, the first blow of yes. a bigger picture. Yes. But, you know, March was the first blow of a lot of things. This is where we really started to realize that it was not going to be a normal year. Uh, the, the things that we expected to do as part of our professional and fan life were probably not going to happen. That's when we first started to uh, basically uh, uh, hear the things that would become comics without cons. Yeah, but also comics without cons. And, you know, thank God I'm at what everybody now calls the last con to yes. do, mm -hmm. which was just, you know, again, it was just glorious, you know, and we took it all for granted. I mean, it was like you had the whole roster of AEW wrestling there and, um, you know, like all the majestic artist Ali and Jim Lee and Gendy Karkovsky and, and like, you know, just again, you took it for granted. It was completely like, oh yeah, this is this is our Sunday. This is what we do every week, and which is actually true in the old before times. That you know, we went and were surrounded by these amazing people, and um, you know that was taken away. And I, you know, we've talked about that in the podcast. It's been because you were you know, in C two E two. Yes, I was. Yes, yeah. March first, I came home on March first, and that was and was then, it. and shortly thereafter. Yeah. Emerald City closed. We, Emerald right. City postponed. Well, we had a lot of conversations at Chicago mm -hmm. um, about whether this was really going to get bad. And, of course, it was March 11th, if I recall. Yes, that was, was. D-Day that, you know, our president gave a speech and Tom Hanks said, hey, I got this thing. And the NBA shut down. And we were all like collectively, oh, crap. Yes. And then it happened. It started uh, happening know, fast. It started happening. But, you know, con shutting down was one thing. Like, I think, look, 
who's read the stand? We all know that pandemics are something that can happen. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've luckily dodged it before with the, the per- previous, uh, yeah. avian sure, with SARS, yeah. SARS yeah. and, and uh, even, uh, I mean, the Ebola was really more in, yeah. uh, you know, obviously out of the country, but it was certainly in the news repeatedly. Well, it was real, but it wasn't mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, events being shut down, of course, it was a big shocker, but it seemed logical. I think what wasn't logical was what happened next when Diamond Comics, the yes. stalwart foundation of the industry, suddenly said, oh, shit, oh, we can't ship anything. We're just shutting down the industry. Yep. Uh, well, I mean, it made sense in context because they were not considered to be essential and <laughs> – they weren't allowed to do it. Well, yeah. I mean, they had no choice. They had to shut down. I mean, both. I'm sure for both. Um, it's not uh, true, but official uh, reason. Yeah. Well, I'm sure for official and uh, if if for no other reason to reorganize uh, their warehouse to be able to uh, ship books in some sort of socially distanced manner. I mean, just my coverage of distributors at the period. Everybody had to to uh, either either they had to rearrange how they did their business uh, or shut down. Mm. All right, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But I, I will say that I think what was most shocking about the Diamond News was just that it was really one of the very few things that were just not, you know, like you could get books, you know, you could get, uh, you know, food, you could get like basics, but no other industry shut down quite as as starkly as comics, yeah. I think. Well, not a, yeah, as periodical. I mean, now, Diamond Book was also affected as well because they had the same warehouse, if I'm not, don't know, if I'm not mistaken. So they shut down too. Yes, they uh, did. But there are other book distributors that did not or, or, or continued to ship. So uh, that really hammered uh, the direct market. I yes, mean, without a doubt. Um, I mean, that's clearly on the professional side, one of the biggest stories of the year. Um, how do you run a business if you can't get any product? You can't. Yeah. Um, so that kind of set up, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, how to describe this? It set up a, a, a series of unfortunate events that yep. would, would ripple throughout the industry. Um, but I will say this, as we got into the spring, other parts of the comics uh, professional community were hammered as well. Kickstarter, for instance, beginning really in March and April, I did a story about this, their campaigns dropped about 40%. Um, this is a, I mean, that's just, this was huge. People simply, either people, you know, as people were being laid off jobs or, or simply being concerned about their money, their ability to either to launch a campaign or, or worry about whether people would have the money to contribute to them, really uh, hammered the business model of Kickstarter. Uh, at the same time, Kickstarter was union, unionizing. And I say this only because Kickstarter has, has shown itself to be a really powerful uh, player on the indie comics, indie author scene uh, by, by creating a new option to be able to, to fund and continue to, to publish comics. So uh, Kickstarter United, uh, they launched a union at the same time, but basically um, they uh, entered a period of restructuring. They laid off about 25 people. Uh, they bought out about another 25 people. Um, uh, Camila Zhang, who we all know, who was the, uh, uh, the comics uh, outreach person, 
uh, was laid off. And uh, they are now really in a period of re- restructuring and bouncing back. As but yeah, yeah, I mean, I would. I think it's important to notice that they just sent out a a uh, email saying how it was their biggest year ever for comics. So you yes. know, <laughs> and well, they've already replaced Camilla with uh, you know Oriana Lecker. I, I believe that's yes. her name. Yes, but to be and quite clear, Oriana actually was pro- was promoted into yes. Margot Atwell's job. Yes. She is really the director of publishing and comics. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, and and Margot Margot Atwell, who has been who has been overseeing comics for for a number of years, is actually uh, doing like outreach or international. She just she just got promoted. She's still yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah yeah. So yeah. it's not you know. And look, um, uh, you know, I, I I think if you look at some of the people who were laid off um, and the union organizers, you might see a nice Venn diagram there. That's all I'll say. And, uh, uh, that's definitely an issue, without that's a doubt. Absolutely true. Because, like I said, like if you say Kickstarter had a bad year, they didn't. They had a great year. Because guess what? You know, this is this is the story. Like it's easy to report on the shutdown, but I think what we haven't really got a handle on is just all the ways that everybody bounced back and found ways to hang on, hang in there. Because you know what? After that spring disaster, it's actually been a pretty strong year for comics. It's been a pretty strong year for book publishing in general, <laughs> comics, prose, or otherwise. Uh, look, I mean, very obviously, if people trapped at home, they need something to read, and and yeah. it really has shown. It, the, the book world and the comics world has, has done really well. Actually, when I wrote my piece about Kickstarter, uh, it was uh, they hadn't turned in the final stuff of the year, but they were up. Yeah, they, they, the success rate for comics projects. It was even higher. It's it's was somewhere over seventy percent. Yeah, and um, uh, you, you know, and listen, it's a lot more controversial. But Indiegogo has also been absolutely thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they're a platform that's known for supporting um some members of a uh, comic book group that nobody likes. But uh, you know what? A lot of people use Indiegogo now. A lot yeah, of people. no, it doesn't bother me. I mean, it's like Barnes and Noble. They will carry. All kinds of books. Some of those books are maybe not like morally the best, but that's doesn't that's not a judgment upon Barnes and Noble. Yeah, um, but uh, I, you know, I haven't seen any numbers on Patreon or other crowdfunding. But yeah, there's no question, but that people were seeking out comics and books, as you say, Calvin, in all different platforms. And, you know, you had a pretty much captive audience uh, checking their email all the time, and it seems like they really <laughs> reached out. And, you know, I don't know, probably at Co- uh, Publishers Weekly, you haven't really covered the story of, um, you know, the home shopping networks for comics. But, you know, retailers during this shutdown, very, you know, passionate, dedicated, smart folk, uh, resourceful, resilient uh, they just got out there on Facebook and were just sell, hand selling comics like Home Shopping Network, and they've been very. Some of them told me they made more money doing that than they did in a normal week getting new comics. I really? think there's been a. I think there's been a mad dash for. I mean, some comics publishers, like like many independent booksellers, had um, online. You know, they had online. They had e-commerce outlets, but you know, they didn't expect them. Uh, you know, to be a big part of their business. They're more courtesy. Well, everyone suddenly realized that this was a lifeline, and they had to they had to restructure these things. And 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 you're right, Heidi. Many retailers who did not indeed even have a uh, e-commerce setups, they just went on Facebook and just like figured out who wanted what they want they want and got it to them in the best way they could. Yeah. 
So this has been a year of being uh, uh, adaptable. It's been a year of being um, uh, resourceful, resilient. Uh, you know, the try our com- our annual comics retailing feature. We finished the reporting before the whole impact of it. And and Shannon O'Leary, who does it for us every year, we went back and did a um, an update for the on the very same uh, retailers who were in the feature. And uh, it wasn't a pretty picture, but they they you know they said, look, we're doing what we can. Uh, like Forbidden Planet here in New York, so many others, uh, Skylight Books, uh, which is a trade you know, which is a trade bookstore. Uh, you know, Forbidden Planet is a, is, a, is a direct market store. They you know they came back to talk to us about what they'd had to do during the year to, to survive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most of them are still here. I mean, we have not seen – of course, there have been closures, but it's not been the wholesale yet, okay? Now, a lot of stores got PPP loans, and they really helped. A lot of publishers got – you know, person after person told us how important those loans were. And now we're getting a second round of loans, uh, which supposedly small businesses are, you know, like they're saving more money for the small businesses. So, um, you know, this could be a really important lifeline because – uh, it's been, you know, we're still in living in precarious, uncertain times. Now, Kate, you were saying that your comic book buying habits changed a lot as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. So I've been thinking about why that was since we last talked, and I, I can kind of diagnose it right away. So we as comic book lovers who buy floppies, you know, we follow plot lines. And... During the pandemic, the worst, I mean, it's obviously still going on now, but during the heavy lockdowns, um, obviously I wasn't going to the store. And even before they forced the stores closed, I was like, mm, do I want to go in? And then when they reopened, I found that by the time I felt comfortable going in, a lot of plot lines had moved on. Mm. And so I was like, well, I guess I have to wait for the trade, right? Because I don't want to, like, pick up five books in and not know where I am. Uh, And that just pretty much happened across the board. And then because of the way things are right now, all the trades didn't come out as quickly. Like, they're delayed. Some of them haven't even come out. And so you're just kind of like, I don't even know what's going on with any of these characters anymore. Uh, Like... Who's doing what now? Does someone have amnesia? I'm very confused. I better get that trade. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. One of the last interviews we did was, again, it took place at C2E2 with James Tiny and the fourth. And, um, you know, and he was talking about Punchline. Remember that? Remember when that was super hot? Oh, right. Mm -hmm. But he had a very hot year with all the Batman stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's launched his own thing. So, um, you know, that Batman storyline did carry on. But, Kate, you know, that's that's it. You know, when I – was uh, reading periodical comics all the time a long, long time ago. And the X-Men started to get really, you know, they had a, you know, split off of two books. You know, if you missed one issue, it was like, huh? So, yeah, sometimes it's just too complicated. Yeah, I mean, you can jump back on board, but the it's going to take some doing. You, you know, we're, it's a serialized form, whether yeah. it's superheroes or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And... You know, those schedules got disrupted, both schedules of publishing and schedules of buying. Yeah. And so 
that's just going to cause a lot of disruption as even people who are dedicated customers, their buying patterns, their travel patterns have changed because like if you've got anybody with any kind of health problems, they're going to think twice about before going into store. They're not going to shop as often. And even if they are ready to go to the store regularly again, like they have to figure out, well, where did I leave off? Yeah. And so it's going to be a while to get that back. It is. And, you know, we remember we talked about, like, remember there was the Comic Hub? Remember that week when yes. Comic Hub yeah. was going to say hmm. save comics? And, mm-hmm. um, you yes, know, and then it, then it decided that it wasn't. And, yeah, you know, yes. we, I mean, we saw a lot of false starts. <laughs> but I, again, I think the bottom line in all of this is that as we are about to enter the blessed year 2021, I hope and pray, um, that a lot of these things did become accepted and did become adapted. And, um, you know, there's just a lot more, like everybody that I've talked to just has a lot more tools in their arsenal to sell products to consumers now. Well, it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, online access, um, uh, uh, working from home, uh, the virtual meetup, the virtual convention, uh, you know, you wrote our feature this year, um, which is more about the uh, idea, more about, you know, what the hell are we doing without con- physical cons? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, we, we saw, we saw an activities in bringing these, um, professional and consumer events online that will no doubt be replicated and become more useful in the future, uh, when we get back to some, hopefully some. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, everything is going to be a hybrid. Yes. You know, uh, we're never going to go back to exactly the way that we were. Uh, but, you know, we're going to adapt some of the methods that we, we, we have, we're forced to choose during this. And some of them, you know, are not a substitute for the before times, but they're additive as. Yeah, yeah absolutely. One of the things obviously virtual conventions have done has, it, it has been to bring ever more people into some semblance of the experience of what goes on in mm-hmm. yeah. pop culture conventions. Yes. Uh, in some ways, it, it, it might have been a great uh, benefit to all of these uh, all these events because people have been able to kind of get a sense of what it's like close up. Certainly, the panels, in my view, uh, it's been create. I mean, San Diego generally doesn't uh, record panels, uh, and neither does Book Expo. On the other hand, um, I found it really kind of enjoyable to be able to pick and choose what I wanted to see, pop in. Pop back and forth between you know the parts of the panel I wanted to, and then move on to something else. I I think that this is going to um, I think this is going to actually make these make pop culture conventions even stronger and going yeah, forward. I, yeah, I, and I think as a hybrid they'll be stronger. Yes, absolutely. Part of what made this kind of difficult is that an all Zoom panel lacks a lot of that chemistry. Yes, but. If you have that same kind of digital accessibility of maybe a live or filmed panel from a convention um, for the people who can't get there, or you have maybe that one guest zooming in who otherwise couldn't make it, that kind of hybridization could really work. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great. I think that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, I listen. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of content online right now. Um, from all the virtual conventions we had, and guess what? That is a great record of a lot of people who wouldn't have been on YouTube necessarily. 
Sadly. So, so moving on just a little bit. So moving to the summer, June. Mm. So just as we were kind of getting our sea legs under us. Well, you know, I want to talk about, I want to definitely talk about Black Lives Matter because I do, Mm -hmm. obviously that was one of the hugest stories of the year. That's super important and it's super positive overall. But before we get to that, that was May. So we had this huge racial reckoning, but then in the throes of that, we also had, um, you know, a reckoning with abuse uh, in yes. not just comics, but almost every industry. A fire, oh, mm-hmm. a fire swept through and just purged uh, a lot of people who had been uh, kind of on the problematic list for a while. Some, you know, yeah. had been, uh, and then some we didn't even know about, you know, and uh, but it took out some pretty big names. Uh, Warren Ellis and mm-hmm. Jason Latour, uh, Cameron mm-hmm. Stewart, uh, Charles Brownstein. And, yes, it's CBS. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's see who else. I'm just looking Scott at Scott Alley. Scott Alley. Yes. Um, Chris Butcher, um, which I, uh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm still, I, I, I feel it still makes my head spin. Yeah, uh, right. Well, that was yes. And and you know, this was absolutely a lot of it was tied up with um with just the racial reckoning that we were happening, but um I mean, I uh, think it was it was pretty intense to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh just um I mean, we look we love this business, we love this community. Uh it has issues uh uh that it needs to address. <clears throat> Many of the people that we named here uh, uh, were considered pillars of this community, um, and they seem to have failed. Yeah. And we'll have to move yeah. on, but we need to examine ourselves, examine what they did, and, and hopefully we'll come back the better for it. Absolutely. Amen. Um, so obviously also, uh, after the murder of George Floyd, we went through a huge reckoning, uh, throughout the, the our America and throughout worldwide really about the systemic racism, uh, that was, uh, infecting so many different spaces. And that was another thing that was really good, but it was very intense to go through. Calvin, I'm sure. You know, you well, the whole what to say. The whole book publishing industry, the whole publishing industry uh, has been reckoning with this. Uh, you know, look, you know, um, you know, a couple of years ago, PW did a uh, uh, a whole uh, focus. We did a feature story on publishing so white. Uh, uh, basically, a look at uh, you know what can only be be described as exclusionary hiring practices. Uh, you can decide for yourself why, you know, what drives these exclusionary practices. We have an idea in our heads. Uh, uh, the comics industry is no exception. Uh, in the wake of the George Floyd uh, murder at the hands of the police, uh, as <clears throat> as well as other uh, awful events of the year from the uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, um, all of these industries are looking at themselves. Uh, all of this stuff is related. Um, we need to do better. Um, and we're at just at the beginning uh, of doing so. Uh, we saw an explosion of interest <clears throat> in, in, in books on anti-racism and on the history of African-American lives and other marginalized uh, people in this country. I put together uh, an anti-racist graphic novel list. 
just for Publishers Weekly, graphic novel and graphic nonfiction. Uh, this is going on everywhere. And people are taking a hard look at their hiring practices. Now, we have seen an exp- uh, a, a, what can only be described as a sudden and explosive <laughs> um, promotion and hiring throughout the publishing industry. Um, and it's a little bit frustrating. And we've seen it at, uh, at even though DC Comics is in the throes of its own issues, we've seen it there with their, their new VP and what general manager, uh, what's mm-hmm. Don Cherry? His name uh, is we, we Daniel Cherry. Daniel, Daniel Cherry, excuse me. <laughs> uh, we see it at IDW. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, with Marty, uh, uh, Nachi Marsham, um, uh, as well as, and I don't want to mangle his name, uh, the, uh, the director of sales. Yes. There as well. Um, uh, and in look, book publishing also, uh, oh, there, absolutely. Was, there was quite a few, um, oh, very oh, deserving oh, oh. black pe- publishers who were suddenly promoted. Let's talk right. about Lisa Lucas, who yeah. was, a, who was promoted at, um, to venerable, uh, book publishing institution, and, and and that that and there's overlap with our show too, uh, because uh, she's heading up Pantheon, uh, which you can point through as a pioneering publisher of graphic yeah. novels in the book absolutely. trade, yeah. uh, as well as Shock and Books, which is absolutely a distinguished imprint devoted to Judaica. Um, uh, we saw at SNS, um, Dana Kennedy. Uh, has taken over there and uh, as the uh, publisher of Simon & Schuster. So um, uh, we look to see changes, to see more diversity in this business, we hope. Um, perhaps now people get it. Uh, it's it's very odd. I've been in this business a long time. I've been in the book publishing industry. Dare I say it, 30 years more, 30 years plus, Uh uh, a focus on diversity uh, is almost a cyclical thing, mm-hmm. and nothing really changes. We will see. Everyone that I have talked to, and, and in my reporting on this issue in the most recent days, uh, people who I would consider have considered some of the toughest um, uh, and most cynical about how uh, uh, the white publishing industry operates have actually said they feel optimistic. So we will see. More to come. Well, definitely more to come. And, uh, you know, the comics industry, uh, obviously the hiring of Nachi Marsham as a publisher at IDW was huge. Yes. Um, and we saw a few more promotions, but not really a lot. Uh, but we did see a lot more black creators uh, mm. and a lot more projects that were, you know, kind of talking about race or talking about diversity. Um, so I, I would give it a, a start. I would say comics – have a start you know yeah. i mean i think there's a lot of diversity in indie comics uh that was existing before this certainly you know yes. uh the queer aspect of comics is huge yes right as now. we've been talking about for, yeah, for yeah, years yeah that's actually. very 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 well well established mm-hmm. um so you know uh definitely more to come on that and um you know don't don't stop now <laughs> just keep it up yeah I mean, I think also, um, I mean, you know, at a, at a certain point, we st- we do have to sort of return to, to DC Comics, it seems. Um, I mean, well, I was going to say, I'm looking at my 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 calendar here, and uh, so after we got through the purge um, in June, and then there was like the No San Diego, and you know that was a little yes. bit sad. But then we had DC Fandom, and it looked yes. like looked like 
you know, things were kind of okay there for a little bit. I mean, DC fandom kind of got us all head up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, uh, you were excited by what you saw, right? Yeah, I thought it was a great thing. And, you know, I felt like uh, their distribution issues aside, more on that later, like maybe Disney was ha- Disney, maybe DC was handling this well. Yeah, and they, I mean, they, they, you know, they actually split it up into two days, but they had like hundreds of hours of programming. I mean, they just went all out on the marketing. Um, you know, Jim Lee was all over the place. They had previews of their film and TV and some of the comic book stuff. And it was super impressive. I, you know, and at the time we were very excited saying, you know, we've been looking at these Zoom meetings for a long time and finally we could see somebody from the clavicles down and it was exciting. Um, but it, um, very quickly things at DC were not as happy. No, not at all. So, yeah. I mean, major layoffs, uh, what the, uh, m- multiple waves of layoffs, uh, uh, the, the, uh, removal of, uh, what, multiple generations of, of, of veteran expertise and experience, uh, marketing and sales to the direct market, which seems to be really under, um, uh, under attack in some ways, uh, and, and, and a really unclear as to what the future uh, of DC Comics well, is. You know, so I mean, yeah. Now, a lot of these waves of layoffs were accompanied by waves of layoffs throughout Warner Brothers, and you know, yes. which is now owned by AT and T. And we've seen plenty of stories come out about that relationship, and um, and you know, HBO Max, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, so, you know, one. So it wasn't just it's important to note it wasn't just dc being singled out but they certainly did lay off you know like oh my god uh in the first layoff there was like um like bob harris the editor-in-chief and um yeah bobby cunningham who was like the the, the or oh, not bobby cunningham pardon me she's a long time ago um oh god i uh, well anyway just huge huge high level people um jonah wyland the, uh, the, you know, who headed up marketing and, um, Bobby Chase, that's who I'm thinking mm-hmm. of. Bobby Chase, who was like one of the biggest editors there, who spearheaded the kids line, and later Michelle Wells, who ran the kids line. Um, so yeah, some big, big names laid off or, you know, like big, big titles. Uh, you know, a good thing happened to that Marie Javins was named editor in chief. Um, she's the first woman since Jeanette Kahn to be editor-in-chief at DC, mm-hmm. um, and a universally beloved figure. And, you know, they've just announced some stuff. You know, they're doing this two-month thing, Future State, which we think is yes. good. And then you know, just like kind of a lot of things spitting out of that. So it looks like they're going to keep publishing comics at least for the first half of 2021. <laughs> uh, that looks good. But, uh, you know, I do think – I've mentioned this here before. Um, and, you know, maybe now is the time to just lay out all of our – our Michigas about HBO Max. Now I've talked about this, and because because if you read all of the stories now, are talking about turmoil at AT and T and mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, Warner Media, oh, yes. and just you know John Stanky who runs it, and Jason Kylar. Thank God you say his name like that. Um, and you know just the other day they announced their they finally said, oh you know here's our slate. We're going to make four movies, DC movies a year. Um, and, uh, but it's been floundering and it's not, you know, it's not just DC comics is what I'm getting at. It's kind of a yeah. systemic it's a whole thing. company. In yeah. fact, it's so interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, that the, the crazy, uh, uh, 
discarding of distribution and publishing legacies um, that we're seeing in the comics industry, there's, there's almost a corollary in their streaming business. Yeah. I mean, for, for one thing, let's get this out there. It's not even that good of an app. It's yeah. not. And they're putting all their eggs in that basket. Well, well, Kate, like you've heard me complain on this this podcast for a whole year about <laughs> yes. HBO Max. Yes. Yes. Well, now Quite I have my own complaint. So, what, so what's so so what's your what's your beef well, with HBO Max? <laughs> well, I've got several. So, first off, my parents were, as I mentioned in the previous episode, HBO subscribers, but they wanted to be able to access all the HBO Max only goodies. So they did exactly what HBO, I think, would want them not to do, which is to say, cancel HBO in order to get HBO Max. No. And upon doing so, um, which they don't regret, um, I mean, there were long periods of time, you know, wrestling, because you couldn't just, like, type in your password. You, like, had to verify... That, you know, not on your television, but on a second screen, and then it kind of thought about it, and then it wasn't very well organized once it was on there, and, like, when I, uh, sharing the family membership, uh, attempted to download Wonder Woman, um, like, it it was just trying to download such a large file. It just never downloaded. Well, you I shouldn't thought, be downloading. You should be streaming it. But well, well, but I I thought it would give me portability because it had a download option. It had a little arrow like download this. So I was like, okay, cool. That's what I'll do. Because you know, I unlike you and Calvin, I do commute. Yeah, and um, that's and, and don't most of these platforms offer that option? I don't know. They Jody, do. A friend of the show. She she does that all the time. She downloads. Yeah. She downloads shows and we, we watch them on the plane. So it's, yeah, yeah, no, you can totally do that. You know, like, but I, I mean, Kate, your story is just like, it's just so pathetic. It's like, like, like there was this story in Business Insider. I might have bought it up last time we talked, but it was like the best, one of the best business stories I've ever read because it was just talking about the development of HBO Max and AT&T. It just, you know, they had HBO. HBO Go, HBO Now. So what do you, you you want this to be your big thing, you $120 billion in debt telephony. So what you do, you just make it easy for all your subscribers to get the HBO Max. But they didn't do that. They had all three. You know, I'm in loyal, huh? You can't see me, but I'm making hand gestures. Um, (laughs) AT&T phone. So I'm like, call them up. Like, hey, don't I get HBO Max with my AT&T? No, you got to sign up for this, that, the other thing. I'm like, yeah. why? Why? Just do it for the first six months. Just give it to me free. Get me hooked for the first six months. Yeah, it was, it was, the, same, it was the same thing with my parents. Oh. Like, we are on a family plan together because it's cheaper that way. And we've had this family plan literally since I was a teenager. Uh, and they were like, oh, yeah, your plan's not good enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They tell you that all the time, and they and it was just like, well, then, too bad. Okay. But the whole point that they were trying to go for was that, like, oh, this is this extra bonus that you can get with AT and T that makes AT and T special. You can get HBO Max. 
Well, it's not that special if you need the super fancy plan that most people don't have. Yeah. I, it's you just know, not. Now, and of course, you've heard me complain about this for six months, that it wasn't available on Roku. And now, just with Wonder Woman 1984 about today being Christmas Day, Roku and, H- and AT&T came to um, God, came to Jesus. <laughs> it's finally available. And, and to be fair... When I went on to my Roku, I was going to go download HBO Max, but it had already converted my HBO app to HBO Max. And uh, I went and visited a friend for Christmas because I was here by myself, and uh, that was very bad for my mental health. And so anyway, and we watched – I was able to get my HBO Max account uh, running, and we were able to watch Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas. So we go. had a big win there, but whew. There you go. Yeah, and uh, more on that. When there's more on that, um, yeah, I, I have something to bring yeah, up about because, why I didn't watch it on right, Christmas. Right, right. Well, well, we'll have to. We're, we're, we're going to save our discussion of Wonder we'll Woman 1984 for, for another show. But the well, okay, in that is, case, then I will say what it was, which is uh, I haven't seen it. I want to see it. I will yet see it. But for all of how much everyone. I know was hyped for this originally. I can't get anyone to watch it with me. My parents <laughs> won't watch it. My roommate who loves Wonder Woman won't watch it. Like seriously, I can't give this thing away. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, like everything else, we're all hoping that 2021 will be a little better. <laughs> yeah. But uh but you know what? We're 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 getting up in time here. I'm kind of curious. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of our favorite properties of 2020? Well, Calvin, book. you have your you have your book list. Yeah, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but I do want to talk about the top several ones. And I'll say, that, you know, for me, the best book of 2020, just just my personal list, is a uh, is a an absolutely fabulous. Uh, graphic biography. It's called Chasing the Bird, Charlie Parker in California by David Chisholm, uh, published by Z2 Comics. Uh, I, you know, I think it is a treasure of a graphic biography. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, David takes, uh, about seven well-known first-person accounts, uh, of the, uh, uh, of people who knew Charlie Parker. And if you don't know who Charlie Parker is, he's one of the greatest jazz musicians, most influential uh, 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 jazz uh, instrumentalist, alto saxophone, and composers uh, in the history. Uh, people said that um, you can sum up the history of jazz uh, in four words, and it's Louis Armstrong and Charlie Parker. That's five uh, words, but yes. <laughs> well, I put and in. Yeah. The per- person said that just said Charlie Parker, uh, Louis Armstrong. Uh, it, it, it is an absolutely artful as well as nuanced and imaginatively rendered graphic biography of, of a black American musical genius. Check it out. And I'll, I'm going to mention just one other book, Big Black Standard Attica by Frank Big Black Smith. It's his graphic biography, and it was uh, he's, he's, he's passed on now, and it was produced by Jared Rymouth, who, who really took his memories and wrote them down, and Amazian, uh, uh, uh the artist who did it. It's the story of a of, of big blacksmith who was a prisoner and a prison negotiator during the Attica Prison Revolt of 1977. Uh, uh, is that right? Or 71? Um, uh, easily one of the bloodiest and most awful prison rebellions 
in the uh, history uh, uh, of the of this country, and a key uh, moment in the whole history of mass incarceration. So I, I just want to leave at that. I just think these are, are two of the most extraordinary books that I read this year. There are many others, but these were at the top of the list. Um, you know, I uh, – I've said this several times in the podcast. Um, you know, comics reading didn't make it over the hump for me and my quarantine. Uh, just I, I um, spent I, – I, I, I need to – however, I, I've become reinvigorated for reading comics for 2021 for sure, and uh, I'm definitely going to read more. Uh, but I did re- have to read a bunch for the Beats Best Of, and one book that I read that I haven't mentioned before, and I – you know, spoiler, I hadn't read it before – um, is a banned book club oh, by Ryan. Yeah, I hadn't read it before, and uh, you know it's so good. It's, it's great. such a good book. Yeah, um, thank you. And it's a, and it's about uh, it's about uh, you know the name. And now I'm gonna I don't want to mess up the names, but anyway, the author uh, was a student in Korea during a very corrupt mm-hmm. regime when. Um, when uh, the you know the students were kind of uprising against and uh, the book clubs were actually banned there was uh, you know a lot of violence against the students there was protests and she goes to school being completely non political and uh, but she learns that you must be political in this world uh, because politics affect everything that that we face and uh, it's written by uh, by her co-written by her husband Ryan Estrada uh, I'm looking it's up the Kim Hyun Kim Hyun Suk. Yes. Uh, is, 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 uh, is the subject. Uh, Ko Hyung Ju is the artist. Yes. And Ryan Estrada, uh, uh, Suk's husband, um, yeah. uh, is also one of the, yeah. the I'd, uh, I'll say, uh, it's fabulous. Well, Ko Hyung Hilarious Ju. and yeah. serious. Calvin, I'm talking about it I'm now. I'm sorry. It's such a good book. I can't help it. Calvin. Sorry. <laughs> I'm talking. I'm talking. I, go for it. Go I'm for it. Talking. Talk. <laughs> uh, you know, the artist is Hyung Ju Ko, and he is absolutely amazing. The art, I really loved the art in this book so much because it's, it's really a fusion style between manhwa and, uh, American kind of indie comics and manga, and it just brings all these styles, but so energetic. It really, you know, it sounds like some of these stories could be a little bit boring, but it's never boring in this book, and, uh, it really is just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful title that I think people are going to read over and over again. And as I said, it has a happy ending in that the corrupt dictator's daughter was eventually elected president as well, and she got impeached by the very judges that she appointed, so, um, you know, politics can have a happy ending. Amen. <laughs> Great book. Kate, any picks from you? Oh, well, it is hard because, you know, as I've just said, my comics reading was kind of disrupted. Um, uh, in this void of time has no meaning. I'm having trouble keeping track of which things came out in 2020 and which things came out like just before. So I'm a little muddled on my time scale here. So I'm going to have to duck out. So Kate, you know what? Instead of talking about a book, why don't you talk about something we talked about all the way at the start of this podcast? Birds of prey. Birds of prey. I have only, only one complaint about this movie. And that is the title. Because yes. it's the title of a completely different series and set of characters. But that's fine. That's fine. It's still incredibly enjoyable. Um, it really let Margot Robbie 
like fully inhabit her funny side without having to worry about looking hot in every single frame. I mean, she's Margot Robbie, so she's attractive yeah. like 99% of the time as opposed to 100% of the time in Suicide Squad, which um, I thought worked comedically because she was allowed to be fully comedic um, and to make those funny faces if it made the joke work. Um uh, so, you know, I'm sorry if it made you sad, random straight man. Um, it, it was fun, it was lighthearted, except for the moments of, of, you know, the real pathos that underlies Harley Quinn. But it was made enjoyable by the fact that the movie begins with her jumping the Joker, or being dumped, or, and... And so the whole movie is kind of this comical crime odyssey as she just sort of ping-pongs around God, creating chaos and then tripping over her own chaos. And it's just excellent. It's just excellent. It has a whole bunch of different female characters, none of whom can be mistaken for each other, none of whom have the trait of being mysteriously silent. Um, which is great, and I just found it deeply enjoyable, and I thought I was going to watch it twice, but then, you know, everything well, closed. Well, Kate, I'm happy to tell you when you do get HBO Max, you can watch it over and over again, so, because it's on there, so, because I loved yeah. it, too. I loved it, too. Whenever yeah. I can figure out how to make that thing work. i just like to say that I think uh, um, your choice of book was fabulous. Uh, it was on my list as well. Uh, that book is great. It, it just is. And, and that's why I couldn't contain myself. Um, so there. <laughs> that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> I just hope people go out and get it. Yeah, totally. Of course. Well, you guys were, ra- were just about running out of, running low on time here. Um, so, uh, you know, we realized that 2020 was the hell year, that if we could survive this, we could survive almost anything. Well, I mean, there's a lot more that could have happened to us, but, um, uh, and I don't want to learn what it is, but, uh, yeah, me neither. you know, yeah, uh, this was tough enough. Yeah. But, you know, let's just go around one more time and just say, you know, what have we learned that's positive in 2020? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you, you know, I've learned that, boy, you know, you can adapt to almost anything and, um, and we're 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 pretty lucky in the sense that you know kind of the stuff that we love and obsess about is kind of what, what at least partially what people really need and want i mean we 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 cre- we we talk about um we talk about the people who create um you know this this content that uh maybe gave people some solace and some distraction and, and, you know, and some, you know, uh, fuel to, to push into this new year. So, um, you know, that's something that I think we learned, um, in, yeah. in 2020, how important this thing is that we do just it, to people's spiritual life. That's true. And I, I, you know, I, I've never been worried. Maybe for a couple of weeks there, I was like, uh oh, comics are doomed, but it turned out they weren't. Maybe just some parts of comics were doomed. And, you know, I've learned a lot about myself. And again, humans are very adaptable. I mean, I've learned how to cook a lot more than I ever thought I would. I, I got a cast iron pan for Christmas and that's cool. leveling up a little bit. 
Um, so, uh, and, um, you know, uh, hey, props to the Mandalorian. I think that was my favorite thing all year. Thank God I made it through to the fall and got to watch the Mandalorian because that was my, that was my delight. Uh, Grogu, um, you, he, here's looking at you, kid. <laughs> Kate? Um, I would say it just really reinforced uh, the importance of community and how much you mm. miss it when you can't contact it. Um, I've always valued the fan community and, and valued the comics community, but I really miss not having it in person, and I really look forward to being able to have that again. And not just, you know, the comics community as a whole randomly, but the very specific comics people in my life, including you guys. Yeah, uh, we were able to get together once during the pandemic, and it was wonderful. That was a yep. highlight of the year for it sure. It was a big. T- it was a it, big. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I agree. You know, Calvin and I both saw Soul, which was the other big movie release, and one of the messages of it is live in the moment and enjoy the the little things. And uh, you know, I, I I don't think we really need that message right now because we uh, figured it out. Because yeah, because we kind <laughs> yeah. of figured it out. Uh, like I said, normally I'm a, you know, globe hopping, running to, from con to con. And, you know, this summer I just would go with friends to Governor's Island. And you know what? It was great. It was, I had a wonderful time. And I, I really did learn to, not that I didn't before, I will say that, but I really did appreciate friends and community and the chances that I had to connect with it in, in a 3D way. Um, each, each time was precious to me. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, actually it's funny. I mean, one of the, the, the the best things that Jody and I get to do now is we, we walk a couple of blocks up to a, a new bookstore that opened here, and they have a little backyard. You can buy a beer, and we just walk a couple of bar. Uh, we get we can look at books and sit in their backyard and drink a beer, and then walk home. And you know, occasionally <laughs> we see a few people we know, but you know, it's the it, it, it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah. You know, That's- and we help out a local business. Uh, we're surrounded by books and, um, you know, in 2020, that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, listeners, thank you. Thank you for sticking with us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we do have a lot of plans for uh, 2021, uh, lots, some special episodes we've been brewing and, uh, you know, certainly the world of comics will not be dull or graphic novels because there will always be <laughs> more to come. <laughs>